Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Notice back in our text says, and, and when you ask for that king and all these things begin to happen to you, what does it say in verse 18 back here in First uh, Samuel 8? says, And you will cry out on that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. You've chosen it. You've wanted him. And here he is. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. You can cry to me all you want. And boy, that's a scary thing. Thanks for joining us today on Truth in Christ Radio. Today we learn that the Israelites thought having a king would change things and he would serve the people by taking care of their needs. They were sadly disappointed. We hear the Lord giving fair warning to Israel regarding an earthly king's actions. If Israel wanted a king, they must realize he will be a taker, not a giver, and the people will end up serving him. Remember, Jesus said of himself, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He is the King of kings and is the giving King who offers mercy and grace to all people. Now let's join Pastor Rob. You might be uh, attractive. You might have all the right pedigrees. You may even look nice. (laughs) And we think that people are going to treat us any better than they treated Jesus, and it never works. If what they did to Jesus, they're going to do it to you too. Because a servant is not above his master. Notice verse 9. Now therefore heed their voice. The second time God tells them, Now listen to them, Samuel. If that's what they want, give it to them. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king that shall reign over them. Reign over them. And this is really what accountability is all about. God is saying, is that what you really want? Well, let me tell you what's going to happen if you go down this road. And then you have another opportunity to choose whether you want to go down this road. And so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. And he will appoint captains over thousands and captains over his fifties. He will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to take his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. Was there any time that when God had the, the judges that these kinds of things happened? Where they had to serve the judge in, in that way? No. But this is what's going to happen if you serve this king. In fact, it's interesting here in verse 14 in our text, it says that 
He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He's going to take them. He may keep them for himself. He may give them to his servants. It doesn't, you know, who knows what he's going to do with them. But we see this in the life of Ahab. In 1 Kings chapter 21, it records this for us. You recall this event in the life of Ahab, the king of Judah, or king of Israel, excuse me. It says, It came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel. It happened to be right next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it's so near next to my house, and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I'll give you money for it. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. In other words, no, I'm not giving you my land. (laughs) So Ahab, I love this. Ahab went to his house, sullen and displeased, because of the, Lord, the word which Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him. And he lay by his bed, and he turned his face away, and he would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife Jezebel, this wonderful godly woman, Jezebel, just the epitome of everything sacrosanct, Sacrosanct. She just, she was pure white. She was like an angel, an angel of God in, in, in white linen. She even had wings, I'm sure. Just this wonderful woman. No, she was not anything of the sort, was she? She was an evil woman. And what did she say? But Jezebel. So the plot thickens. His wife, she came to him and she said, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? And he said to her, and, and, and I'm so tempted to go into a character here, but I won't. Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will, I will give you not my vineyard. And, and just like a mother speaking to a child, can you hear Jezebel? And then she says in verse 7, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat your food, let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal. Now she's like his, she's, he's, he's just a proxy at this point. Now she's doing it all for him. And, and, and basically, the, the long and short of it is, she sets him up to have a big feast, and they put him in honor in the very highest seats, and then they get a couple of scoundrels to come in and, and, and make false claims about him, and then they, they will actually, because of those claims, they will stone him outside the city, and he dies and then Jez, uh, Jezebel comes to her husband and says, Hey, guess what? That land that you wanted, it's, it's yours because the guy who owned them is now uh, pushing up daisies. I took care of it for you. Wow, what a gal. Can you imagine? Notice the lack of rapport and the respect that Ahab had with the people. It's very different when we look at the life of David. David, if you remember, in the latter part of his years, he, he counted the people of Israel in his twilight years of his, you know, he's getting close to 70 years of age, somewhere in that area. And he counts the people of Israel. God brings a plague. And you remember, in order to stop the plague, he would, he would actually go to a man called Aruna up to his threshing floor. And he went up to Aruna and he goes, uh, I would like to buy your land to set up an altar to worship the Lord. And Aruna's heart, because he loved David, what a difference than what we saw with Ahab and this guy Naboth. Naboth didn't really want anything to do with Ahab. 
He knew his character. But this man, Aruna, looked at David and said, David, I'll give everything to you. You just take it. You name what you want. I'll even provide everything you need for the sacrifice. You can have the land too. And David says, oh, no, I can't worship that way. If it doesn't cost me something, I'm going to pay you what it's worth. And so we did. And so we did. But just a wonderful character of David and and what a wonderful heart uh, the people had for him and him for them. But back in our text, it says, and one of the things, the behavior of a king is verse 15, he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants, the finest young men, your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. It's interesting, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 17 because prior to the children of Israel coming into the promised land, remember, the book of Deuteronomy is really a second telling of the law. And so as they're there on the east side of the Jordan, right before they would cross over, Moses is talking to them. And in chapter 17, now remember, this is hundreds of years prior to what we're looking at. And God anticipated this day in Israel's history. He anticipated it. In Deuteronomy 17, beginning in verse 14, notice what it says. Deuteronomy 17, verse 14 through 20, actually. It says, when you come into the land, now this is God speaking, hundreds of years before this is occurring. When you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Wow, you'd almost think that God knew their heart. (laughs) Did he not know their heart? Did he not know their history? Isn't he Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end? Doesn't he dwell outside of time? Can't he tell the end from the beginning? And he's basically telling them hundreds of years in advance, this is what's going to happen when you come into the land. And he says it right here. And you possess the land and dwell it, and you say within your heart, set a king over me like all the nations that are round about me. And he says, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren who shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but notice verse 16. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, because that's what the other kings did. It was just very natural to amass a big army, because if you got a big army and you got a really big king, praise the Lord. But no, not to multiply horses, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. <coughs> Excuse me. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write himself a copy of the law. And and it goes on, and we're not going to finish the rest of that. But what I find interesting is that they, for our purposes tonight, They weren't supposed to multiply horses to themselves, and they weren't to multiply wives to themselves. And we see the very same thing happening. And In fact, very early in the monarchy, after Saul, you remember, there was King David, and then King David had a son. His name was Solomon. And what happened? Just three kings into this thing, what do we see? Solomon basically, blatantly going against all of these things, most of these things. I find it interesting that Solomon was, he truly was the wisest man on the earth. There was no one wise like him, nor after him, except for Jesus. 
God gave him that gift, and that was an unconditional gift that God had given him, an unconditional promise. He made him great, there's no doubt about it. And his heart was good in the beginning, but as he got older and he started to multiply wives and the success started getting to him, he started getting into and dabbling into idolatry and, and, and eventually started worshiping these other gods. What does it say for us in 1 Kings chapter 11? It says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor nor they with you. Surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. Sounds like God again knew what he was talking about. Did he not know what he was talking about? Isn't that what happened to Solomon? And this is, you know, early in his reign. And Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. That's a thousand women in your life. I mean, you can imagine having dinner one night, and you got three of them sitting at your table, and like, what's your name again? What's your name again? What's your name? You don't remember my name? How could you? you know, I'm out of here. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. So he had, he had a thousand women in his life. And his wife's notice, turned his heart from God. Didn't God share with him? Did not he read this, Deuteronomy 17, at some point? Maybe several times as he was growing up? Even as king, reading it? And then finding himself going right into the same thing himself. Multiplying. I mean, you know, it's one thing having seven wives or three wives, but for heaven's sakes, a thousand? For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord as God, and as his heart was with David his father. And so it goes on and it talks about how he built these altars upon the high places for all of his wives' gods, and he he worshipped them as well. And his heart was not right with God. And what else? In Second Chronicles chapter 9, verse 25, Solomon had 4,000 horse stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the kings at Jerusalem. In fact, when we were in uh, Israel this last uh, February and March, we went to Megiddo, and Megiddo was one of the chariot cities that Solomon had. And you can still see those stables there today. They've unearthed them, and you can see them. This is where Solomon's horses, some of them, were located there in Megiddo in a chariot city. And he wasn't supposed to do that. And yet he did anyway. In fact, the book of Lamentations, or not Lamentations, but the book of Ecclesiastes is really Solomon coming to the end of all this, starting off really well, turning, and then finally at the end of his life saying, you know what? The whole thing was a big sham. (laughs) The whole thing was a big everything. It's all emptiness. Apart from serving the Lord, you know, everything was empty. Is Solomon in heaven? I believe he is. But boy, did he learn something. I mean, think about it. He went through some really serious waters. He experienced the very best of everything. God prospered him, even the things that he didn't ask for. Even he experienced life to the fullest on both sides of the fence. It would have been better for him to stay on the 
one side, but he went over on the other side, the dark side. He put on his Darth Vader helmet and went over to the other side. And notice, back in our text, it says, and, and when you ask for that king and all these things begin to happen to you, what does it say in verse 18 back here in First uh, Samuel 8? says, And you will cry out on that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. You've chosen it. You've wanted him. And here he is. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. You can cry to me all you want. And boy, that's a scary thing. Like in, uh, in Jeremiah 7, chapter 7, and also in Jeremiah 14, we read about that where God says, you know what, don't even bother praying. That's a scary place, folks. I hope I never cross that line, that Rubicon. And it's different for everybody. It's not the same for everybody. But there comes a point where God says, you know what, if that's what you want, I'm going to let you have it. Or maybe you've gone too far and you're thinking, you know, I can continue doing this lifestyle. I can continue entering into sin. I'm not going to get caught. You haven't caught me for 20 years, Lord. What's another 20 years? I'm just going to continue doing it. I'll continue to ask for your forgiveness and I'll just continue doing my own thing. And you don't know that the very next day is the last day of your life because of something you do. You have a sin unto death. Maybe it's a cocaine habit, a heroin addict, whatever it is. It could be an illicit relationship, and you find yourself with some incurable disease that's going to kill you. Like AIDS. Remember back in the 80s and the 90s? There was no cure for it. People were dying. Nevertheless, verse 19, the people refused. They refused to obey. That's what you call obstinate. Obstinate heart. Just, I will not. I will not. And boy, God hates a heart like that. He hates a heart that's just digging in their heels saying, I refuse to obey. And they refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. And they just want it so bad. And God says, okay. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you lust for. Be careful what drives you. What is it that drives you? What is the thing that's that the passion of your heart? What is it? Is it from the Lord or is it just you? Is it just some lust that you have? Is it just something that you want to do to make you feel better, to make you more noticed, to make you more reputable, to make you feel better about yourself, a better self-esteem, whatever it is. Whatever it is, whatever it is, is an idol and it must be crucified before it's too late, before your life is shipwrecked. So many people today, our lives are shipwrecked because they refuse. They have an impenitent, obstinate heart. I will not, they say. And man, I tell you, it drives me nuts to see when things like that happen. And you know, sometimes God is always gracious. He is always gracious always gracious, but there is a point where he says, you know what, I gotta, I gotta, I'm going to give you what you want. Be careful what you ask for. They were like stubborn children. No, but we will have a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, that our king may judge us, and not only that, but to go out before us and fight our battles. The price of conformity to the world is great. If you want to be conformed to Jesus Christ, Praise the Lord. Is it going to be easy? No. But if you want to be conformed to the world, you're in for a bad deal. 
And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. And so here it is again, verse 22, our last verse. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice, Samuel. It's the third time he says it. He said it in verse 6. He said it in verse 9. Now here in the last verse, he says, heed their voice. They want it. Give it to them. Heed their voice. Make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. And then we'll look next week as we look at chapter 9. We're going to see the Lord um, through a series of things. He's going to choose a king for them. He's going to be the one that they really want. And it says that Saul was head and shoulders taller than anybody else. And he had beautiful hair. Just a handsome fellow. Drove a Harley Davidson. Had the rough beard. You know, the blue jeans. You know, the tattoo says mom. And another one that just says hey. Handsome fellow. Wow. To be like him. All the women, you know, their heart skips when they see him go by in his Harley. He's such an awesome man. He's not very smart, but man, he's got all the he's got all the package, man. God says, That's what you want. I'll give you the best. Israel has to offer. There he is. Handsome fellow. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you strive for. You may just get it. Let's stand together. Father, as we read about Saul, as we read about the people of Israel and their attitude, Lord, it reminds me of me, unfortunately, especially before I came to know you, and even sometimes after I came to know you. Lord, it's so easy for us to get our eyes focused off of you and onto things and onto the things that we desire, God. And uh, thank you, Lord, for, Lord, as we have prayed, uh, Lord, help us to pray in sincerity and in earnest, Lord, about things around us, about every detail of our lives, especially the the small things, especially, God, uh, and certainly the big things, because, Lord, they, they put us on a trajectory of faith in our walk with you. Lord, we don't want to get what we want. Lord, I'm so glad that you intervened in my life. I had a plan for my life. I, I wanted to do something. I had very something specific that I wanted to do with my life, and I'm so thankful. And I know I could probably speak for all of us here in this room. Lord, that you invaded our life, and you changed our trajectory into a different place, and you knew what was best for us. And I can say with all of my heart now, Lord, and I hope we can all say it as well, that, Lord, the changes that you've made in our life have been good. They've been really good. Had they been easy? No, but they've been so good, Lord. You've given peace, and you've given us a straight path. You've given us a conscience that's clear that we can rest at night and not have to worry about a whole boatload of sins that we've got to now cover up for. Lord, help us to live simple, pure, and holy lives. Lives that are exemplary around, uh, from everyone around us. They would see our good works and they would glorify you. Lord, thank you for this chapter. And Lord, help us to learn. Help us to learn to be careful about what we ask for and not to be so obstinate and so kicking and fighting and pinching and scratching to get what we want, God. Help us to surrender early and receive the greatest blessing. 
which is your perfect will for our lives. Lord, would you please work that in and through us tonight and all throughout this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.